0: this morning as we begin this brand new series called Origins. We have worked so long and so hard and still have so much work to do, but I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Two worldviews, basically. Two worldviews, and one of those says that we are here by accident, or you could use the word chance, meaning the world, the the earth, the universe, and even ourselves by chance. Or the worldview that says this, that there is something beyond us, something bigger than us, beyond our limitations, that designed us and created us. And the reason, one of the reasons why the worldview is so important is because it answers some very basic questions of life. It answers these questions. It answers, who am I? It answers the question of, where did I come from? It answers the question of, why are we here? And also, a big question, What happens to me when I die? And that all goes back to which worldview we are believing in or we choose to follow. All of these questions, they are answers that have to do with the past. And the way that we choose to believe then has an impact. So that past has an impact on our today because it is today that we're making decisions. And the decisions that we make today for us individually create our future, our tomorrow. For me personally, I made my choice for me years ago. And maybe if you're anything like me, some of you are saying, oh, I hope not. (laughs) But if you're anything like me, then maybe you also have made a choice of Your worldview and what you're following, what you're choosing to believe in, you've made that choice, but because you're not a scientist, and because you haven't studied these things, if you're like me, then perhaps you get lost in all of the arguing, what seems to be arguing between the two sides and the two worldviews. You have been taught certain things. So have I so have your children. You have been taught certain ideas, and you have been taught many times those things as known facts. When the reality is this, the reality is that they are still simply theories. They're ideas of what might have been. Over the course of the years, it seems to have happened that what might have been has been taught and has become what really happened. And if you're like me, over time, as our world seems to have gotten further and further away from God, if that is all you hear, From the standpoint of what really is, then maybe if you're like me, you could begin to doubt what the Bible actually says. Now this series is going to be presented as encouragement. It's going to be presented as encouragement because for me, certainly this has been encouraging. This series is not going to be presented as a fight. It's not going to be presented with animosity. It's not going to be presented with venom. It is simply going to be presented as encouragement. So, the Bible. The Bible is not just an ordinary book. In fact, the Bible is... Not just one book, but the Bible is 66 books written by over 40 different authors over the course of thousands of years. But even though it is still one integrated message, and the more you study this thing we call the Bible, the more you discover that every detail is in there by design. Every detail is there by design. You see, you begin to realize that God is actually able to write history before it ever happens. And even the very structure, the very structure of the Bible, it reveals that it has actually authorship. It reveals that it had to originate actually outside of time. This collection of books tells one amazing story. It tells us the history, and it tells us the future of redemption. You see, the Creator Himself becomes the created in order that He might redeem His creation. That is us. And it is our greatest privilege in this life to come to the place where we know him. The first five books of the Bible, they are called the Torah in Hebrew. In Greek, they call it the Pentateuch. These five books are the books of Moses. They were directed by God, written by Moses. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus himself tells us that Moses was the author of those five books And those five books are history. Now, I can't express enough how every detail in the Bible is planned and it is designed by God. I want to give you a very quick example of this. It just simply for me. I have a small mind, but it blows me away. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 says, It is God's privilege to conceal things And it says, the king's privilege to discover them. In other words, God is saying here that he has something more for us. I I know this is strange. Something even perhaps concealed, and he encourages us to seek that out. There's also an ancient rabbinical tradition that says this, the secrets of the Torah are revealed through the skipping of letters. And it is that skipping of letters that I want to talk about for just a moment next. We call this an equidistant letter sequence. And I want to give you an example found in the Bible. So this is one of those things, perhaps, that God has concealed. And this just blows me away. I want to take just a moment to explain it. So here we have uh, the the word Torah written here. You see it on the side of the screen. And, And... in English, our wording goes from left to right in the way we read. But in the Hebrew language, they go from right to left. So you see some examples of that. And then you see how it's backwards for us, but it's correct for them. And then uh, you saw the actual Greek writing. But here we have the Hebrew text, the book of Genesis. Now, if you were to take this spelling the way the Hebrews spell the word Torah which they spell it, you saw it just a moment ago, they spell it with four letters. If you were to take, in this Greek text, if you were to take the first talv, which that letter for us would be very similar to a T. So if you go to that book of Genesis written in Hebrew and you find the first talv, that first T, and then you count 49 letters, whoever had the time to discover this, Centuries ago, had a lot of time. You just you count down forty-nine letters to the next letter in the word Torah, and you land, you count down forty-nine letters, and then that very next letter is the VAV, and that's for us an O. So you find the T, then you go 49 letters, the next letter is an O. You count from that letter 49 letters, and you go to the very next letter, and the next letter is a hey, which for us is an H. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped the R, the rash," and then you go. But it's 49 letters to the rash, 49 letters to the Hay, in that exact sequence. In other words, at the first T, and in 49-letter increments, you find in the book of Genesis the spelling of that Torah. Now, that, does, that sounds cool, not all that miraculous. You know, that could happen by accident. So then you go to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, you, do, you find the very same thing. Taking the very first Tav, the T, you count 49 letters from that, the next letter find the O, and the, you count 49 letters from that in the book of Exodus, and you find an R, and you count 49 more letters, and you find H. Again, you have Torah spelled out in the very beginning of the book of Exodus. Interesting. So then you go to Leviticus and actually you're almost relieved because you don't find it there. So you can almost say, well, wow, I'm almost glad it didn't show up because that was getting a little weird. It almost could be coincidence. Now you move to the next book in the book. uh, I'm sorry, in the Torah. And it is the book of uh, Numbers. And actually it shows up again in Numbers in 49 letter increments, just like the others you get the word Torah. But this time, Torah is spelled backwards. Interesting. So you go to the last book of the Torah, which is Leviticus, and remarkably, in 49 letter increments, you find the very same thing. It is spelled again, and again, it is spelled backwards. And to me, I don't know about you, but to me, I say... Wow, that is wild and a little weird. Which makes you begin to think, what is up with Leviticus then? So you go back to Leviticus and you discover that this is the middle book of the Torah. The book of Leviticus, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work with Torah forwards. It doesn't work with Torah backwards. So you look at it. And you realize those were in 49 letter increments, so if you increment, so if you take the square root of 49, which is seven, and you look at Leviticus, then you find out in Leviticus it works differently. It works with Yahweh, which is Jehovah, which is the for the, the Hebrew people the unpronounceable name of God. Now, look at this picture. That we have here. This to me. Blows me away. Look how I believe God has hidden. In his word. This. It appears. That the Torah. Always. Points. Toward. The name of God. That's interesting. Is it not? Now. Now. Don't rush out and get a book on Bible code because most of what's out there is just misinformation. Not like what I just talked about here. You see, this is no prophecy. I believe that is simply just the thumbprint of God on His holy scriptures saying, see, I, I told you. I I told you, these are mine. I told you that these were inspired by me, put together by me. This is a supernatural work of me. I believe that's God's thumbprint saying that. You know, there's no way that Moses could have put that together. He wouldn't have had the technology available to him. I believe it is God saying, this is my thumbprint. These are my words, my scripture. So let's take a look at God's Word, God's Scripture, all the way at the very start. This Scripture that God has taken such special care to deliver to us. It all begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And the first phrase says, In the beginning, God. You see, before this, before that word in, There was nothing. There was no matter. There was no time. There was no energy. There was nothing. Now we really can't comprehend, and we really can't explain that, that there was nothing. It's beyond us. Because for us, we can only explain what we can understand, basically. And and the things we understand, it, it is made up of things that we can see, things that we have experienced, or in addition to that, things that we can replicate through experimentation. And within what we can see, and within what we can experience, we have limitations. We are limited to four dimensions here on this earth. There are three space dimensions, spatial dimensions, and there's one dimension of time. We're limited to four dimensions. And our understanding of everything we experience is also limited to these dimensions. We have a tendency to think like this. Okay, in the beginning, God. But what happened before in the beginning? I mean, what came before that? I mean, all we can think of is that it was just eternity, an eternity of time all in the beginning. That's the way we think. And then we ask ourselves, well, what did God do with all of that time before everything began? He must have been quite bored by himself. What did God do with all of that time? So let's look for just a moment at time. You see, our understanding of time as well is limited. It is limited to our experience right now. And this is how we experience time. This is how we experience time. And we feel that this time, it's the same for me, it's the same for you, this time. It's the same for the people who are right now driving down Park Avenue. And we experience, we believe that it's also the same, Uh, the experience of time is the same for the people on the other side of the world right now. We believe that it is the same. That's what we think. Because that's what we have understood. But that does not make it an accurate statement. That has been made. Right now, basically, the most... Accurate clock that has been made um, to this date, anyway, so far. It's an atomic clock and it is accurate to um, one second per million years. So that's pretty accurate, right? There's one of those clocks that happens to be in Colorado. There's another one of those clocks in England. And for some reason, the one in Colorado beats. microseconds a year faster than the one in England. Every so often they have to go and make adjustments to make them the same. So here's the question. Which of those two clocks is accurate? Which of those two clocks is right? And the answer is, they both are right. You see, we have discovered that time is not a constant. The clock in Colorado, you've already guessed it probably, is, is almost a mile above sea level. The clock in England is only 80 feet above sea level. They have discovered that time is not a constant. It is actually a physical property And time is impacted, this is crazy, it's impacted by motion, gravity, it's impacted by mass, acceleration, among other things. And the impact of those forces on time is actually predictable. In other words, you can raise a clock one meter and that clock will beat faster. It speeds up one part in 10 to the 16th power. Very, very tiny, but measurable. Let me give you another example of how, and this is a, a made up example of how time is not a constant, but now it, we see it as a physical property. Let's assume we have two astronauts, twin brothers. One of the twin brothers is going to stay here on Earth, and the other one we're going to send to a nearby star called Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri is 4.5 light years away, and that doesn't sound all that far, really, until we realize that one light year is 5.8 trillion miles. So it's quite a ways off. One is going to stay here with his wristwatch. The other one's going to take his wristwatch. He's going to get on a spaceship. Let's assume that spaceship can go uh, at the speed of light, which means this, it takes off, and it, to get to that star, if it's 4.5 light years away, it means it's going to take him 4.5 years to get to the star, 4.5 years to get back and so the brother here on earth has been looking and watching and anticipating he's watched and it has taken his twin brother nine years to make that trip as soon as the brother the twin brother steps off of the spaceship and comes out he looks at his watch the one who has been gone the one who has traveled and his watch says that he's only been gone 33 days immediately steps off the spaceship nine years younger than his twin brothers, than his twin brother. Now, that's crazy. But that's an example how time, they have discovered, is not a constant. Time is a physical property. Time is a physical property. It is not uniform. It varies with mass. With gravity and acceleration. I tell you all of that. So that I can get to this next question. It's a big question. So in Genesis 1.1. The Bible says. That in the beginning. God. Now here's my question. Is God subject. To those physical properties. The physical properties of. uh, Mass. The physical properties of gravity. Is God subject to. To the physical properties of acceleration? And here's the specific question. Is God subject to the physical property of time? And the answer to that is no. You see, as we think of time, we think of time like this. This came with me this morning in the Prius. (laughs) We think of time like this. We think of time like a line. We have the beginning, uh, the start of an event down here. Uh, Either a life begins or an event happens and the timeline begins. And the timeline then moves forward. And somewhere here we are stuck on the timeline in a very specific, a very, very specific moment in time. That's how we view time. That's our understanding of time. And in this life, we can move forward under the constraints, the limitations, the rules, the laws of time of that physical property. We can move forward, and we can turn around, and we can look backward at what has happened to time. We can turn. We personally have seen happen. We can move forward under the constraints of time. We can turn around and we can look backwards. But get this. We cannot move backwards on this timeline and take ourselves backwards. We can't do that. And we cannot look forward to know what is coming. We can't do that. But God can. Because God is not limited by the constraints of what He has created. We have a tendency to think of eternity as simply lots of time. In other words, we think of if God created here, and we think of all of that before the creation as, well, God just had lots of time and then we look at the future, whatever's coming, whatever's ending, however it's going to end, and we think past that, that's eternity, and it's just lots of time. But that's not correct. Because in the beginning was eternity. And after the last clock winds down will be eternity. And God has been there all along, God is outside of time. For us, the dimensions of time are the past, the, the present, and the future. But God is outside of those dimensions. Let, let me give you another hypothetical example. So God is outside the dimensions of time. Imagine yourself sitting on a curb and you're watching a parade, maybe in downtown Little Rock. You're on the curb sitting down and you're watching a parade. And the parade for you happens almost in a line, you know. It, it, you can't see it. You can't see it. It turns the corner and suddenly you can see it, and it passes in front of you. You see what's happening right in front of you, and it turns a corner, and you can't see it anymore. It's still going on, but you can't see it. But you could have a different experience. If somehow you could remove yourself from those constraints of what you can see in that moment. So let's just say you get in a a, a helicopter, and you get above the skyline, And suddenly, you're able to see the whole thing. You're able to see the staging area way over here where all the things are getting ready. They're putting them in line. They're getting the floats ready. You're able to see that. And you're able to see as they're coming around the corner when this person could not, but you're able to see them coming around the corner. You're able to see them turn the corner to pass here. You're able to see them turn this corner to go that way. You're able to see the beginning... And you're able to see what's going on here. And you're able to see the end all at the same time. Because you're no longer constrained by what's just right in front of you. Suddenly you see the whole thing. God, and I know it's a flimsy illustration. But it helps us just a little bit maybe to understand how God is outside of time. And God sees the beginning. He sees everything in the middle. And he sees the end All at the same time. And get this, this is where it gets even more weird. He's able at the same time to interact with the beginning, the middle, and the end all at the same time. Because God is outside of our constraints of time. In the beginning, God. Before this verse, There was nothing. Nothing but eternity as God experiences eternity. It was not merely empty space. There was no space. There was no matter. There was no mass. There was no time. God created out of nothing. One of the most fatal views of trying to understand the the beginning, how it all started, is this view, fatal view. The way it is now is the way it has always been. In other words, the present, what we understand in the present is the key to understanding the past. And that's what one of our founding fathers of the field of geology taught. Charles Lyell. he believed that 200 years ago. That understanding the present was the key to understand what happened in the past. But the question is, has everything been constant from this time to that time? I mean precisely as it is today. Is it the way it has always been? Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, when? when? When did He create the heavens? When did the heavens come about? When was the earth formed? Our Bible tells us that it was formed less than 10,000 years ago. Most scientists today tell us the earth was formed over 4 billion years ago and that the universe was formed 14 billion years ago. But here's a reality. It is known by scientists. It is known by theologists. The date of the earth and the universe can never be proven nor disproven. Why? Simply. Because we were not there. You see, we can calculate. We can radiocarbon date. We can come up with figures. But in order to do any calculations about the date, any calculations of any kind, about the date of the earth, the date of the universe, there are assumptions that have to be made. It's impossible to come up with a dating system. That does not have starting assumptions. To fill in the information gaps that we don't have. It's just impossible. Why, why do we have to have assumptions. To help fill in those gaps. Here's the answer. Because we were not there. That is historical. And it's also historical Science, and in order to come up with a date, we have to. It is no way around it. We have to assume some things that we cannot see, we cannot test. Some things we just don't know. We have to make some assumptions. Now, it can be accepted by many. It can be presented to us as a known fact. They are calculated. They are ideas. They are guesses. They are calculations. And they all have their start in some very critical assumptions. And some of those assumptions include the thinking of the way things are today. They have always been that way. Here's a reality. If just one of your starting assumptions is wrong, just one, then all of your calculations may be right, but the conclusion will be false. Let me give you an example. So we're talking about less than 10,000 years and all the way up to 14 billion years. So that is an enormous amount of time. So, because that's a big number... Let me give you a big example. If you were going on a trip, and this was going to be done the old school way, no GPS, let's just say you have a a list of detailed instructions of where to turn, how to go. You have a list of detailed instructions. You have a map, and you also have a compass. And you are going on a trip. All of your instruments, all of your tools are correct and accurate except one. Let's say your compass is one degree off. Just one degree. Just a tiny amount off. One simple degree off. But it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if you're traveling from right here to Riceland... You're just going to miss the mark by about 92 feet. I mean, that's not a big deal. It's not much of a big deal, really, if you're traveling from right here to Nashville, Tennessee. Not that big of a deal. You'll just miss the mark by about six miles. But we're talking about thousands and billions of years. Let's say you're going. So let's make a big trip so that it makes more sense. Let's say you're going to the sun. Your directions are accurate, your map is accurate, but the the compass is one degree off. You're going to the sun. You will miss the sun by 1.6 million miles. Because one assumption was off by one simple degree. Let me give you a real world example. Mount St. Helens in uh, Washington State, it has dated as old as 2.8 million years old by current dating methods. The problem with that is that the rocks that were used, we know without any doubt for a fact that they are 38 years old because they were created in 1980 when... Mount St. Helens erupted. If our assumptions are off, the result is off. For anyone to calculate the age of the earth and the universe, the fact is, none of us doing the calculations were there, so they have to have some starting assumptions to fill in some historical gaps. As we begin to wrap this up, let me give you three big points to think about this week. Here's the first one. Do we know everything right now? I mean, here's what I mean by that. Have all the discoveries, have all the scientific breakthroughs been made to date? Are there no more coming? And the answer is no, no. We don't know them all today. All the breakthroughs, all the discoveries have not yet been made. So the answer to that is no. Here's the second thing. Think about this. As we know more, we discover some things we have misunderstood. I mean, it was not all that long ago that everyone believed the earth was flat. It was not all that long ago that that people risked their lives to believe that it was the earth that rotated around the sun, not the sun rotating around the earth. We know more and we understand more. We discover more and our world becomes more clear. Here's the third thing. If we can't see it happening now, and if we were not there when it began, when it did happen, then we are making some assumptions to fill in some gaps. We are guessing about certain things. So here's where that leads. If that's the case, then the conclusions we draw are only as good as the assumptions we make. If the assumption is off, even just a little, the result is off. This is what troubles me. In the early days, these dates were presented as theories, as ideas. But today, the more books I read, the more documentaries I watch, today, they are most often presented as scientific fact. And that leaves Christ followers confused. The reality is this. What they present is not a fact, but it is merely an idea, and it all comes down to faith in the unknown. So who do we listen to? Researchers? The vast majority who are committed to billions of years who have to fill in the gaps with assumptions because we were not there? Or do we believe God? Who was there and who took such great care to communicate with us what was needed to know. He had it recorded for us and His thumbprint is all over it. I believe the reality for me and for all of us really is this. It is a matter of faith. Either way we choose, whichever worldview we choose, it is a matter of faith. One of my teachers, who is so much smarter than me, he says this, The more knowledgeable and comfortable you are with real science, the more you see that it agrees with the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No matter which worldview you choose, it's a matter of faith. This week, I'm going to ask you to do this. This week, would you read the first three chapters of the ancient text of Romans, the book of Romans? And while you're reading those three chapters, and there are some tough chapters, no doubt. They say some very tough things. But while you're reading those first three chapters, would you simply ask God to begin to open uh, your life to him to begin to open you to his words and his truth. I'm also going to ask you to do this this week at some point, would you jump over towards maybe towards the middle or end of the week? would you jump over to to the blog for the church, which is not the dot com, it's the dot org stuttgart harvest church dot org. And I'm going to have some more information up there. If you're on Facebook, I'll probably tag some links on Facebook. But would you visit that as well this week a couple of times or watch for it on Facebook if you're on Facebook? Because we're going to have some more information for you there. And this please don't stop here. Don't let this be your last experience with us. We are simply going to work our way through these days of creation. There's so much more to come as we look at origins in the beginning. Let's pray. Father, in the beginning you created the heavens and the earth. You tell us. And God, when we can come to the point in our lives where we can believe this, this first verse of Your Word, Your Scriptures, then later in our lives we will have no problem, God, with the rest of Your Scriptures. God, You operate outside of the dimensions to which we are limited And thank you for giving us the history. The history that we were not here to witness. Thank you, Father, for your scriptures that reveal your redemptive plan for your creation. And God, I pray that this week that you would bless each of us in proportion to the amount of time that we spend with you in your word, Father.